Genesis 3.16 has got to be one of the most understated verses in all of the Bible. Genesis 3.16, when God said to Eve, in pain you shall bring forth children. There's no arguing with that, is there? But it's more than just the pain of birthing children. It is the pain of broken bones and broken hearts and broken dreams. It's the pain of watching your child struggle with the brokenness of the sin in this world. And it's also the pain of watching your child struggle with their own brokenness and their own lives. And it's the pain of witnessing someone you love hit rock bottom and you are powerless to change their course. You can just pray. You can just pray. Uh, one mom said it so well. She said, There is simply no epidural strong enough for the pain of parenting. <coughs> Amen. And I think that's what we've seen in the life of the Old Testament character, Samson. We've been in a series here for the past few weeks studying the life of this Old Testament character and really seeing two words that we'll see today as we conclude. The words pain and grace. Pain and grace. Samson's birth was announced supernaturally by an angel to a childless woman, a childless mom, and there was so much hope. Judges 13 says that he would begin to deliver Israel. And Judges 13 says that God blessed him. And then that the Holy Spirit began to stir in him. And so it seems that there was going to be so much hope on the horizon as we look to this deliverer. But I'm telling you, there was just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Disappointing pain. As Samson, you know, he was called to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But instead, he's wanting to marry into them. What is with that? And you just have this sense that something is going to come to a head. This tension. Samson wants to be in two worlds. And you just sense that this, there's going to be this tension. This is unsustainable. Something's going to happen. Something's going to come to a head. And that something is in Judges chapter 16, where we are today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. If you turn to Judges chapter 16, we're going to look at the whole chapter, but I'm going to read verses 28 to 31. And you can find Judges 16 on page 216 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, it's in the pouch in front of you, and you can take that copy with you, put your name in it, and receive it as a gift from the church. Judges chapter 16. Verses 28 to 31. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house, that's a temple, a temple on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them. 
his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all of his strength. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. And so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And then his brothers and all his family came and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. This is God's word. Pain and grace. You see it there? That's what Judges 16 is about. The, the, the pain of having to watch someone you love experience the full measure of their folly and then the grace of God that is freely given without obligation to those who cry out for him. Pain and grace. And so here's the, here's the big idea, all right? God gives his grace even to fools when they cry out to him. God gives his grace even to fools, even to those who have to experience the full measure of their foolishness. Even, even when fools cry out to God, he gives his grace, pain and grace. That's Judges 16. And, and the pain needs to be talked about first. So let's go there. Samson. Samson. Samson shows up. He's been judging Israel for 20 years. And um, by judge, the word is lead. Uh, don't think of judges in our courthouse. Think of the word leadership. And he's really not been that good of a leader for two reasons. He's a performer and he's a presumer. He's a performer. In other words, Samson is a one-man show. Other leaders in the book of Judges rally the people around them to uh, put off God's enemy. I'm thinking of Gideon and the Midianites. But Samson, he's a one-man wrecking crew, and he doesn't need anybody. Listen, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, says that an isolated man begins to think of himself first. When we isolate ourselves and when we, we begin to close in ourselves, we begin to think that this world is led by a, a kingdom of one, that our world shrinks to the size of just our little puny vision. And that's what Samson's doing here. He's not leading anyone. All of his antics throughout his life are just performed by himself. And, and, and so he's performing and then he's also presuming. Samson presumes that because he has certain gifts given to him by God, that those gifts, well, he doesn't really need the fruit of God. So he has gifts from the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't need the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He has these supernatural abilities for spiritual purposes, but he doesn't need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I think that's one thing that concerns me, that we would get the idea that, you know, here on this raised stage, underneath these spotlights, behind the podium, well, that is all that leadership is. And oh my goodness, are we mistaken if that, because you see, you can impress people at a distance, but you impact people up close, one-on-one. And Samson may be impressive, but he hasn't been impacting because the Philistines, he's it's still the days of the Philistines. Samson wants to live in two worlds. He wants to live in the world of Israel. He wants to live in the world of the Philistines. And we see that in the beginning of chapter 16, where Samson goes to see this girl in Gaza that he has absolutely no business seeing whatsoever. And it's not like he tries to sneak into Gaza either. He's just kind of, he just kind of swaggers into Gaza and he goes for this one night stand. And of course the enemies find out that he's there. So they're going to surround the place, verse two, and set an ambush for him. And Samson's just kind of, he has his fling. He's going to set the alarm. At midnight it goes off. And after he's had his fun, why he gets up and, and just to show he can, In a supernatural act of strength, it says that he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, verse 3, and the two posts, and pulled them up bar and all. Now, these were not cosmetic fence gates. This was their security system. That's how it worked back then. And Samson pulls them up, and, and he hauls them all the way into Israelite territory, Plops them right in Hebron's front yard. Now, what is that about? Well, it's a message to the Philistines. Like, what do you think? You're secure from someone like me? Don't you know who I am? And then it's also a message for his own people. Like, thanks a lot for all the support you gave me in chapter 15. When the 3,000 of you had to arrest me and hand me over to the Philistines. Thanks a lot for that. And those Israelites would wake up from Hebron. And they would look at that hilltop. And they would see those gates from Gaza and their stomach would just sink. You know why? Oh my gosh, we're never, we're never going to be at peace as long as Samson is alive. And see, they had already succumbed to the Philistines. They had already given up. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, salt's a stable compound, right? But salt can become contaminated, and Israel's become contaminated. They're not crying out to God anymore. They're perfectly content to be swallowed up by the Philistine culture. The Apostle Paul says that bad company corrupts good morals. And... One Bible teacher put it this way. It's like putting on a white glove and sticking that glove with your hand in mud. The mud never gets glovey. Right? Yeah, but the glove, on the other hand, it gets muddy. And that's what's happening here. And... Here's the thing. 
God is using a compromised deliverer to rescue a compromised people. Well, doesn't he have anybody else? No. <laughs> now, all he uses are broken people. And yet, Samson wants to live in two worlds. He wants to live in the world of Israel and the world of the Philistines. And this is not sustainable, as we shall see beginning in verse 4. It says that after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Oh, Delilah. That, that sounds tempting, doesn't it? Let's all say that on three. All right? Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Delilah. Oh, Delilah. Oh, my goodness. Let's talk about her name for a moment. Uh, two meanings behind her name. One is low-hanging fruit. The, the, it's a word picture for temptation. For temptation. All right? I... I I don't make this stuff up. I'm just reporting it, okay? <laughs> but then the other is, the other is darkness. Darkness. And remember Samson's name? Sun, Sunny, Sun God? It's a Canaanite name. What is an Israelite deliverer doing with a Canaanite name? Sunny, darkness. See, there's conflict here. This is unsustainable. And notice, in the Samson accounts, there are four women. There's his mom, Judges 13. There's this jilted bride that Samson leaves at the altar in Judges 14. And then in the beginning of Judges 16, there's this Gaza, Gaza girl, all right? And then there's Delilah. We don't know the names of the first three. The first three are anonymous. But we know Delilah's name. And the writer of the book of Judges wants us to know something. That that's how much, that's how important she is to Samson. And it says he loved her. Doesn't say that. Didn't even say that about his mom. What is up with that? And it didn't say that about the woman of Timnah. And it sure didn't say that about the one night stand at Gaza. But it says in verse 4, Samson loved a woman in the valley of Sork whose name was Delilah. Now, it doesn't say that she loved him, right? But he is smitten. And right about then, the Philistine mafia show up on Delilah's doorstep and make her an offer that she can't refuse. They tell her, we want you to seduce him. Here's money. Seduce him. We want to know the secret to his strength. Verse 5, see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And look, we will each give you uh, 1,100 pieces of silver. She's going to walk away a very rich lady. So already we know that she doesn't love him. She's a hired temptress in order to ensure his slaughter. And so isn't that what sin is? Sin is hell-bent on first-degree murder. She, she wants to see him go down. She does not love him. And it's not like she's subtle about it, right? Look at verse 6. 
Delilah says to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound. That one could subdue you. (laughs) And Samson is like, you know, he's flirting. He is flirting with danger. And here's the question. Here's the question, and it's an important question. What do you do when your body loves what your heart knows is wrong? What do you do when your body loves, when your body wants, when your body desires what your heart knows is wrong? Samson, he's playing with fire here. Well, verse 7, secret of my strength. Let's see, what is that? Well, take seven bowstrings, and they've got to be fresh, not dried. And if you tie them up, then I shall become weak. Look at verse 7, and be like any other man. Now, why on earth would he even want to look that way? Why would he even want to go that way to be like any other man who wants to be like any other man samson says do this and i'll be like any other man so she takes the bowstrings and he gets tied up and you know there's an ambush in the inner chamber what are they doing hiding underneath the bed or what i don't know but and it's not like he doesn't know they're there I mean, he's just playing with fire. And she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He snaps the bowstrings. The thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Round one. Round two. She says, stop mocking me. I mean it. Tell me the secret of your strength. Okay, the secret of my strength. Well, it's not bowstrings. It's rope. You need something thicker. Get rope. If they bind me with new ropes, can't be dried, uh, can't be used, then I shall be as weak as any other man. And so, you know, he goes to sleep. He's fooling around. She binds him. The Philistines are upon you. The Philistines and the men were there in the chamber ready to ambush him. And he snapped the ropes off like a thread. Verse 12. Oh, she's You're mocking me. You're telling me all of these lies. Tell me how you might be bound. All right, all right. It's not rope. It's take my hair. She's getting warmer. Take the seven locks and weave them into a loom and make it tight and then fasten it with a pen and I shall be like any other man. And so that's what she did. And the Philistines are upon you. And he broke, what in the world is he doing? Surely no one is that stupid. Really. Surely no one is that stupid. I mean, you know, this guy is in total denial. This guy's thinking, I've got it covered. I can quit any time I want. I can handle it. I'm in control. Oh, but she just won't let up, right? She won't let up. Verse 15, after three rounds, 
How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times. and You've not told me where your great strength lies. And, and look at verse 16. And when she pressed him hard. Now, where have you heard those words? You heard those words in Judges chapter 14 when the lady at Temnah could not figure out the riddle, and he was flirting with her. And it says in Judges chapter 14 that she pressed him hard. Judges 14, 17. Well, here we're talking about a varsity press. We're talking about, oh my goodness, she pressed him with her words day after day and urged him and his soul was vexed to death. And verse 17 says, he told her all his heart. And your stomach is just sinking. Oh my goodness. He said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. It's a special vow that was taken. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. And I shall become weak like any other man. And, you know, Proverbs says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. And your, because your, you live out of your heart. You relate out of your heart. Your heart is the control center of your, of your soul, of your very life. And, and Samson, who had ripped the gates out of Gaza, was no match for Delilah, who had ripped the gates away from his heart, protecting his heart, and he was vulnerable. And verse 18 says that Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart. Four times in this account, the word all his heart is used. Come up again, she says to the mafia dons, the Philistines. Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. And so they came and they brought her the money. And she made him sleep, verse 19, on her knees. And she called a man, so he is out cold. And she calls a man and had him shave off the seven locks from his head. Now, do not miss the imagery there because it is powerful and it is a warning. You see, his head is on her lap and his head is shaved. What? He's a baby. Samson has just gone through a de-birth, de-generation, de-evolving. He is born in, out of the realm of God into the realm of the Philistines now. All his life, he wanted to be a Philistine. He wanted to wear Philistine clothes. He wanted to cavort in Philistine vineyards. He wanted to marry a Philistine woman. He wanted to live like a Philistine. He wanted his foot in both worlds, but he wanted to be like a Philistine. And now he finally gets what he wants. Samson, 
who is at this point, there's no ropes. There's no bowstring. There's no knot and a pin and a loom. There's no hair. And there's no presence of God. Verse 20 says, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep. Here's the presumption. I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. I think that's some of the saddest words in all the Bible. And Samson was free for about that long. And then the Philistines seized him. And they took out his eyes. He's just like the people he used to fight, right? Gaza without the gates. Samson without the eyes. And now Samson's the one who's the animal. You never find in sin what you go in sin to find. He ground at the mill in the prison. This broken Savior who had once mastered And even to the point of abuse, the animal world with lion's carcasses and donkey's jawbones and foxes' tails tied with torches. Now Samson is the animal. Now he's the one who is grinding the wheat, the wheat that he had destroyed years ago. What was he thinking? Was he really that stupid? Yeah, he really was that stupid. Who would do that? Who would do that? You tell me. This fall, the media is on fire with story after story of sexual scandals. Actors, politicians, business people, athletes, one right after another. Who would do that? And and, people read these stories and then act so shocked at how Quickly, someone perched so high can fall so fast. How did the guy with such a promising career suddenly fall? Well, if I could be so bold as as to tell you that in the 28 years of hearing painfully hard stories of crashed careers and crashed relationships and crashed finances, Hearts filled with pain cry out, I I just woke up and it all came down. And the truth of the matter is, church family, it didn't all just suddenly come down. It didn't happen quickly. It happened methodically, incrementally. Foolish choices, one day at a time. Some men die of shrapnel. Some men die in flames. But most men die inch by inch playing little games. Have you seen that bike path out at St. Joe? That six-mile bike path? Oh, I love it. You know what I found? That bike path to St. Joe will always take you to St. Joe. You're welcome. (laughs) 
Samson thought the bike path to St. Joe was going to get him to Chicago. Not going to happen. What path are you on right now? And where is that path taking you? And where is the disconnect between your intentions and your direction, between what you desire with your heart and what you're doing with your life? And you say, oh, I'm different. I'm special. Actually, you're going to be grinding wheat in Gaza before you make it to Chicago. You don't have a problem that needs to be fixed. You have a direction that needs to be changed because direction, not intention, determines your destination. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. Direction, not your hopes, not your prayers, not your dreams, not your intellect, not your beliefs. Your direction determines your destination. And Samson ended up like an animal pushing a millstone, grinding the wheat, because that is the trajectory that he put himself on in Judges chapter 14. And his story is here to protect us. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and that through encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So you are wise when you learn from experience and you are wiser to learn from the experience of others. And life change doesn't happen because you hear a story that saddens you. Life change happens when you see yourself in the story. Change happens when it becomes your kids and your marriage and your finances and your reality. Not just because you want to be different, but because you know that you could take the same bait. And my marriage isn't bulletproof. It's awaiting fire. And part of protecting it is knowing that. Because we're all about four wrong turns from being exactly where we said we would never be. And it's foolish to believe any different. And I am not naive enough to think that I'm above sin. I just trust God enough to believe that he has given me a way out. And our church family needs to be the safest place to talk about our struggles and our pain and our sin and our shame. This needs to be a place where we can talk about the pain of a misdirected life. And it needs to be the place where we can, as, the Paul, as Paul says, have hope. Hope in the grace of God. Pain and grace. Oh, give us grace, Lord. And God does. Can you see the grace in these verses? I do. Look at verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's grace. You feel like you're a lost cause? You feel like you're beyond the reach of God? Oh, God gives his goodness and his mercy. And Samson's hair's growing. And God's going to work. He's grinding wheat 
And the Philistines decide that they want to have a worship service for their false god, Dagon. They want to honor this lifeless idol that they believed delivered Samson into their hands. Verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Well, we'll just see about that. So they brought Samson out. And they put him between the pillars of their temple. And it was a huge crowd. The 3,000 Philistines correspond to the 3,000 men of Judah in Judges 15. And they're up on the roof like this big, huge, dangerously crowded balcony in a high-rise apartment. And they're frolicking about, partying about. There they are. Put him between the pillars. He says he's a judge. Let's see him judge us. They mock him. Samson puts his hands between the two pillars. And then he prays that prayer that we read earlier in verse 28. Oh, Lord God, please remember me. Please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once against the Philistines. And he begins to start pushing. And the Philistines are mocking. He's this blind fool up there in bronze, pushing against what they thought were immovable pillars. But what they forgot was that Samson's God is almighty and he is all-powerful. Oh, what a clown, they're saying. Samson's pushing. And all of a sudden, one of the pillars cracked and you could have heard a pen drop. And now they're not laughing. And Samson cries out, Oh God, let me die with the Philistines. Church family, this is a lesson of God's grace because the hero of this is not Samson, it's God. How a man beaten and blinded and humiliated by his own repeated folly reached the bottom and turned around to discover that God was right there waiting for him. There is no pit so deep that Christ is deeper still. And all Samson did was turn around and find God. A simple, heartfelt prayer. Oh God, remember me. Does that not remind you of another prayer on a cross to a bleeding Savior by a wicked man who said, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Listen, that's grace. And that's not just a one-time offer. That is God's continual offer. And we need to hear this story because we live under a load, a load of guilt. And I'm talking Christians who have things in our past that we feel terrible about and we can't change. You can't unsin. You can just repent and cry out to God. And some of us are here and we think we have to clean up our hands and clean up our act before we can let God clean us up. And we say, God won't take me with dirty hands. And friends, that's the only way he'll take you. That's the only way he'll take you. You just come back 
God wants you back. You come back. No fine print. No footnotes. He told me to tell you to just come back. And whatever you are, and whatever you've been doing, and wherever you've been living, or hiding, or sleeping, God says it doesn't matter. God told me to tell you, just come back. He'll take you back. You know how I know that? He took me back. We are the church of the taken back people. Can we not be a community where we can say to some of those who have done horrible things in these scandals, we are the community who has been redeemed by the God who will take you back if you will just turn to him. What if we were that, what if we were that community? Wherever you've been grinding grain blind, wherever you've been, wherever you're Philistia, God wants you back. And we can say this because our Savior is a perfect Savior. Our Savior was broken on the cross for us. Like Samson, Jesus was betrayed by someone who acted as a friend and handed him over. Jesus, like Samson, was chained and tortured and put on public display to be mocked. And like Samson, Jesus dies with his arms outstretched. And through his death, like Samson, when it looked like he was defeated, he actually defeated the enemies. But unlike Samson, Jesus was not put in chains for his own sin. For he had no sin. He was put in chains for my sin. And Samson was a strong man made weak through his own sin. Jesus is the mighty God who voluntarily became weak to save us from the chains of our sin. And grace says, I know you've messed up. I know there are consequences. I want to walk with you through those consequences. And I want to love you through those consequences. And I want to even use those consequences in this whole big story because I never waste a hurt, Jesus says. All you have to do is turn around. You're not too late, and you've not gone too far. Listen, John 1, 8, and 9. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. And thank you so much that the life of Samson teaches us, gives us both a warning and an encouragement. And the warning keeps us from making his foolish mistakes. And the encouragement is that, oh, there's a better Savior that you have sent a perfect Savior, a one whose death the tomb could not hold, one who is living, who has sent his spirit to strengthen us so that we can live the life you want us to live and to produce the fruit that you want us to produce. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And the church said,
Amen.